if the game we're playing is money, there's only one winner, and, and the best form of money is that winner. And that's what Bitcoin is. There's no competition there. Hello there from Bedford in the United Kingdom. How are you all doing? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by Gemini, the only place I'm using for buying Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I'm kicking off with sportsbet.io, the very, very best place for online gaming because they accept Bitcoin. And with the Olympics over, all eyes are back on football. I cannot wait. It's great to have fans back in the stadium. It was kind of weird last year. But listen, I'm going to be making some bets. I obviously think Liverpool are going to win. I obviously are going to be betting against Tottenham because they're ridiculous. So very exciting. But if you want to check this out, Sportsbet.io always have a range of things available for you. They don't just have football. They have tennis and motorsports and esports and all kinds of crazy things. And they always have a range of promotions available for new customers. So if you want to check them out, please head over to Sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have Exodus Wallet, who I am using as my mobile and desktop wallet for Bitcoin. And as I'm about to start traveling, I'm definitely going to be using my Exodus Wallet again, especially when I hit El Salvador. Now, listen, I'm always going on about UX. And the reason I like the Exodus Wallet is they crush the UX, which is why I'm always happy to recommend it to you, my friends and my family. Because the Exodus Desktop Wallet gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. But with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So if you want to check it out for yourself, please head over to exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple app stores. Also, we're going to finish off with Casa, the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords and SIM swaps and phishing attacks, there are way too many ways for you to have your Bitcoin lost or stolen. But with Casa, you never have to worry about your Bitcoin again. Our Casa multi-sig wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets. And these are wallets you get to distribute into different locations. And that is going to protect you as a Bitcoiner from a range of mistakes, errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, I've been a customer for over a year. You can hit me up in my DMs or drop me an email. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A. Okay, enjoy the show. Hey, man, how are you? I'm fine, thank you. Nice to be uh, back on your pod again, Peter. Mate, it's nice to have you back. We, uh, we discussed uh, a peaceful revolution last time. And, uh... Yeah, yeah. I had to defend libertarianism without even <laughs> identifying as a libertarian, or maybe I do. Yes. <laughs> did you did Did you see what I tweeted this morning? Uh, did I? Uh, that's a good question. Which one of them? Well, it's it's just interesting that you brought that up as an opening thing because one of the things I'm really wrestling with right now is that I um I tend to read a lot of the YouTube comments on my. Podcast and the reason I read them, mm-hmm. they give me a good sense of feedback on you know ideas, opinions, and and topics I should explore. And one of the really interesting things is that whenever I cover a particular form of governance, whether it's anarchism, libertarianism, you know, statism, which is used pejoratively these days, there are always a bunch of people piling in with criticisms of it, and. Trying to figure out governance is one of the trickiest, most complicated subjects I think of our time right now, because yeah. you have people who are on the left, on the right, statists, anarchists, 
libertarians, and they all believe their form of governance is right. Even I was when I was in El Salvador, I was having dinner with this girl who was even defending Marxism. So everyone always has their like form of governance they think is best, and everything else is shit. Um, and trying to navigate that's so hard, man. <laughs> yeah, I think the trick is to uh, to find the tools uh, to emancipate yourself. Uh, that's an important thing. I really enjoyed your interview yeah. with with Katie the Rus- Katie the Russian. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Katie uh, the Russian. Yeah, she's uh, well, it's tempting. she's amazing. She is, and it's very tempting to get a second passport. Um, I, I mean, just from my experience of traveling around the world and trying to get access to different countries and seeing how different countries treat treat each other, um, I'm particularly looking right now at. Cuba. I'm particularly looking at, well, specifically Belarus with what's happened with the targeting of the uh, the athlete in the Olympics who came out and said, uh, criticized the team and was they tried to forcibly put her on a plane back to Belarus and uh, and punish her. I'm thinking particularly of the guy in Ukraine who was just found dead who uh, suspiciously. Committed suicide. Perhaps it was uh, disguised as a suicide, yeah. and he ran a. I'm not sure if it was a company or an organization, but helping people flee Belarus and Lukashenko's dictatorship. Now, I'm perfect. I'm consciously aware of all different forms of governance from you know, democratic republics, uh, sorry, uh, uh, democracies to authoritarian <laughs> regimes to monarchies like that you you can travel and see everything right and yep. trying to navigate what is best is really fucking hard it is you're, you're was that a freudian slip like democratic republic slash democracy yeah, it was a slip <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh well it's um it's when people refer to the u.s as a democracy they the others will snap back and say no, no it's a federal republic is it a federal republic it's a detect Dictatorship with two dictators instead of one. <laughs> yes, Constitutional pick... Republic. Sorry, this is <laughs> yeah, <right>. yeah. <laughs> Constitutional Republic. Yeah, That's... Constitutional Republic. You know, there's a lot I like about the US. I do like the optionality yeah. you have to move yeah. between states for different forms of governance, but also the federal government is fucking shit. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of that, I'm, I'm planning to take the car down uh, uh, through Europe uh, here in a couple of weeks. And there are so many different rules for what you need in the car uh, between, like Sweden and and uh, Germany and France and and Spain and Italy and all all the different countries have different rules, and it's really hard. Uh, it's it's much easier to move in move around in the U.S. Uh, I think in France, don't you? In France, you need um, you need breath uh, a breathalyzer. A breathalyzer. I have to look into that. I have three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I drove through. France. I had to drive my dad to Spain once because he won't get on planes. When we went to uh, scatter my mum's ashes in, in Spain, I had to drive him. And I'm pretty sure with France, I had to have. Um, I bought a kit in the end, but it was. I'm pretty sure there was like breathalyzers. There was like the warning danger sign you have to have if you have a breakdown. Like I'm, I'm perfectly aware of that. But no, it, it, like this is this is like the thing I'm wrestling with most right now: governance and. How, how you, what form of governance is best, net best for everyone, um, and being in a world of Bitcoiners is is very hard. If you ever show any support for the ideas behind any form of democracy, 
Yeah, well, well I think uh, regardless of what type of governance or no governance that you prefer, uh, it, everyone views like competition between this different types of governance as as sort of a good thing. Like you you want the the best ideas to survive and and the and the worst ideas to go away as quickly as possible. So so the thing that Kate is doing there, for instance, like perfectly legally giving people the opportunity to get a second passport and and like surf the the different uh jurisdictions that's that's like putting pressure on the on the government that loses loses the entrepreneur to the to the other country right so uh, and all all the incentives yeah. are aligned i mean it's a great option to have it is how many people can actually do that firstly how many can one afford it to have uh the life circumstances that allow it. So, firstly, affording it is it's expensive. I it think is. You're saying like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, so something like that. That's that's way more than the average salary for most people. So, let's be honest. That's only a, an option available to high income earners uh, who usually have a way of finding. Uh, they're usually capable of finding ways to avoid tax anyway. If that's the one of the primary reasons. Yeah. And secondly, if you've got kids. You can't be a digital nomad with kids easily. I know some people do it, but most people actually just want to be settled. They want their kids to be in a school with other kids they can hang out with, and they just want that kind of stability. So whilst it it is provides that competition with government, I'm not sure how much pressure it puts on because I'm not sure. I think it's a very small group of people it's open to. Yeah, but it's only one form of pressure. There's pressure on governments from, from other vectors as well. Uh, I mean... Bitcoin, <laughs> to begin with, is a uh, a huge force, uh, like forcing governments to. Well, it seems like they're getting worse because of it, but but I don't really know how this will play out in the next ten years. But it will be weird. If the J curve, if the J curve plays out, then we, we will see. We'll yeah. get to that because yeah. uh, you've been. Uh, was it three books you've now written? No. Uh, well, the first one wasn't really a book. It was just a compilation of articles. So that was like. Uh, a prototype. It's a book. <laughs> uh, it was called. Is, is it is it bound? Does it have a front? Does it have a front cover? Yeah, it does. So I guess you could call it a book. It's a book. <laughs> it's a book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. Look, you've been making videos with our uh, friend Guy Swan, who has the has the voice of Bitcoin. Um, you've been working hard at spreading the knowledge. We should we should dig into this because I think. I think this is a, a nice follow-on from what we spoke about last time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just to link back to what I was saying at the start, uh, like I'm struggling with governance. Um, democracy is a, a very hard thing. Any form of statism is a very hard thing to defend in the world of Bitcoiners, but uh, exploring anarchism and, and libertarianism is, is easy. And I had a sit-down with Michael Malice and... We had a great chat, and I loved everything he said. I yeah. appreciate everything he said. I think his vision of the world is a is a is a is a world I can buy into. It is. My difficulty is understanding how how we get there. The gap between the idea on paper and the reality is quite a tricky one. And I know many people say, "Well, Bitcoin fixes this," but to be seen. <laughs> I don't think. Uh, I think. I think we've got many battles ahead with uh, the state regarding this. And it's similar with hyper-Bitcoinization. It's something that gets spoken about a lot. But the gap between where we are and what hype and how we get to hyper-Bitcoinization and what actually that means is another thing I don't fully understand. So 
I'm definitely interested in exploring it with you. Yeah, I, no one understands what hyperbitcoinization implies. Uh, I mean, it, it's literally impossible to wrap your head around uh, because there's no end point to it. And this this is the point I'm trying to make in the video. And shout out to Yoni Appleberg, who who, mm-hmm. who actually makes the actual videos. I mean, he does the shout out Yoni. Yeah, he does the bulk of the the, the work there, and uh, I just write the stuff, and the guys one reads it. <laughs> But Yoni is the animator. Anyway, um, the point to that video was that there's no end point to hyperbitcoinization. And uh, yeah, the, the how we get there perspective is it's like we, we, we can't get there without Bitcoin. We can all agree on that, right? Um, the, 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 before mm-hmm. Bitcoin, there was really no point to being a, a libertarian or an anarcho-capitalist or, because the majority of the people... Uh, don't seem to want that. They want to be governed. They want to uh, be on a leash for for all their lives. Uh, at least that's what the uh, election results uh, reflect. <laughs> that uh, that's how I interpret it anyway. Uh, so so basically, that means they don't really know what's best for themselves because they don't see how much money and how much how much energy that gets. Uh, wasted uh, in the system we've got today. But yeah, where to start about the J-shape thing? The, the... I think, well, I, I think a good starting point is network effects, as you started in the video. Um, I mean, some of this, like similar uh, J-curve technologies, radio phones, tele, televisions, computers, internet, etc., cell phones, they're all highly relevant to this. And Bitcoin fits within that list. And I've mentioned it on the show before, but there's a really good book called Engines Which Move Markets. And it refers to the internet, the railroads, electricity, light bulbs, etc., and, and how they fundamentally shifted society uh, uh, in, in terms of organization and economically. And I've always felt like that book could be rewritten at some point with a chapter dedicated to Bitcoin. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Uh, with When it comes to network technologies, uh, there's something called Metcalfe's Law. I'm sure you're aware of this, but it's like the, the value of the network is equal to the square of the number of users the network has. Uh, which means that if you have one telephone and there's, uh, if two people have one telephone each, they have one person to call. Uh, if three people have a telephone each, they each have two people to call. And so on and so forth. So it, it gets exponentially better the bigger the the... the the value of the network grows exponentially as the network grows bigger. And what this tends to do with successful network technologies is that uh, they have an S-shaped adoption curve, which means that it starts slowly, but as as all exponentials do, uh, there's a point where there's a catch-up effect uh, where, <laughs> where, uh, where it all happens suddenly because it doubles every day. And... Uh, uh, the the end point is when everyone on Earth is on board, onboarded to the technology, and this happened to to radio and telephones and uh, Google and Facebook and the internet and all the network technologies that 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 were successful happened this way, and like nowadays everyone has a smartphone, everyone has some form of social media uh, accounts, everyone has access to email, all of these things. Uh, grew exponentially and then leveled out at the end. 
And I believe uh, Bitcoin is in the middle of this, uh, in, s- somewhere along. Uh, I don't know how many how many users, uh, 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 how high a percentage of the world's pro- uh, population that use Bitcoin at the moment. I think it's something around zero point zero five percent or something. Uh, I haven't heard a figure in a while, but but this figure doubles uh, at certain intervals which means that uh, sooner or later everyone will use bitcoin in some way shape or form and uh, but 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 that is that is the adoption of the technology but the price curve is another thing because that follows another pattern because when everyone on earth has bitcoin uh, there's there's really no reason for them to stop putting money into bitcoin and if people keep on dollar cost averaging in all of this, that means that all the monetary energy that gets produced gets produced over time, that gets funneled into Bitcoin, the economy grows larger and larger until it eats everything. And it doesn't stop there. And that's that's the most fascinating part to me, because say, say we live in a hyper-Bitcoinized world. Everyone on Earth uses Bitcoin as their main for, main currency. It's it's currently the like the sixth largest cu- uh, currency in the world, so it's getting there. But say say you live in a world where all the other cu- currencies are point basically pointless because everyone uses Bitcoin and uh, El Sante is everywhere, <laughs> uh, and you can use Lightning as easily as in El Sante or, or even more easily uh, everywhere on the uh, everywhere on the earth. Uh, then. What that enables is a global sound money free market economy, which by definition is much, much, much more effective uh, than than our current system. Because we live in in sort of a handicapped free market economy because interventionism is everywhere. Uh, Fiat currencies are everywhere. The the Cantillon effect is everywhere. Uh, What this means uh, practically is that resources get misallocated everywhere so all the supply chains everything 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 in in society uh has to like battle all these hurdles along the way to get as effective as they could be if we had a, a global sound money free market economy but they don't because there are so many resources are misallocated and uh, th- th- this slows down all the processes including the processes of get, uh, switching to a, to a uh, renewable uh, energy system and everything it it, it gets dis- the price signals get distorted and resources are misallocated in a in, in a sound money economy only the only the 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 investments that actually survive on the free market survive and no one gets bailed out no one no one gets new loans uh, new cheaper loans because they sit closer to the money spigot we'll have none of that and it will be much harder a to a fairer system yeah a much fairer system and it's it's much harder to um, to uh, to use force to make people do things people uh, because a, a transaction is a voluntary thing uh, at its core uh, and Everything we do is trade. We trade information with each other right now while talking. I talk about this all the time. But, but if we can funnel all that into Bitcoin, we'll have a much fairer world. And uh, 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 like the 
back to the price. That means that the purchasing power of Bitcoin goes up and up and up, and there's no stopping point because the the actual cost of everything else is lowered uh, even more rapidly after everyone is onboarded. Uh, Jeff Booth talks about this a lot with how how uh, how cheap everything is to produce nowadays. There's basically zero marginal cost for producing whatever you want to produce, and there's like transportation costs are going down as well, uh, as long as you don't have big container ships clogging the Suez Canal and and stuff like that. But but on the whole, uh, transportation costs and production costs for for every every product there is. Uh, is going down. A product is just a service, by the way. Oh, I'm I'm getting into too many subjects at the same time here. But the point is, after after everyone is onboarded, I'm keeping notes. After after everyone is onboarded, uh, in the the uh, the purchasing power of a Bitcoin can can only go can only keep on going up as long as the economy grows, and the economy grows as long as people do stuff, uh, and help each other and do stuff that other people want. There's like, there's no end to this. It's too good to be true. And I'm still trying to wrap my head around what what such a world may look like. But uh, I'm only sure uh, of one thing, and that is that it will be a, a hell of a lot better world than what we live in now, where everyone's in debt. And uh, like, uh, and if you, if you look at the... Uh, uh, distribution of Bitcoin uh, among users, the, the whales are actually uh, losing power to the plebs. Like uh, users that have uh, 10 Bitcoin That's or less. That's what Willie told me. Yeah, exactly. Willie talks about this a lot. And he's been, he's, been, he's been looking at the numbers and number crunching these things and looking at all the data. And like... The, the amount of users with 10 Bitcoin or less is growing. The amount of users with 1 Bitcoin or less is also growing. And the, the big whales with like 10,000 10, Bitcoin or more, that, that, that is shrinking. So, so Bitcoin is doing what all the central banks claim to be doing, <laughs> even though it works in the... Like Bitcoin is the literal opposite of what a central bank is. And it's doing what the central bank says it's doing. <laughs> So uh, I, I find this so fascinating. Yeah, well, it, it, that helps to my first note that I wrote because you mentioned Bitcoin being the sixth largest currency in the world now. Uh, but if you look at that table... By market cap. Yeah, by market cap. But if you look at that list of currencies, it is the most unique currency amongst it because it's the only currency that uh, has a fixed limit and it's the only cur- currency yeah. that uh, encourages prudence Rather than spending, uh, yeah. When I was younger, my exactly. parents, all, my parents were savers. They talked about savings. They had in good interest rates in the banks. Now, if you keep yeah. money in the bank, you're losing purchasing power. You're lucky if you get like 0.1 percent interest, right? <laughs> so you're encouraged to spend because yeah. otherwise you lose purchasing power. Now, look, some people will save anyway because you know, because they want to save for whatever reason. But the point being is, Bitcoin is so unique. So there is that uh, encouragement um, encouragement to be prudent. And what that makes me think is like hyper-Bitcoinization really is, maybe it's not a collective term, it's an individual experience where you hyper-Bitcoinize yourself. It is. Because I've, I have Bitcoin now as my personal standard. You know, Saverdeen talks about Bitcoin standard. Um, 
Now, when we were on a gold standard, mm-hmm. it required others to be on the same standard. It required nations to agree to a gold standard. But with Bitcoin, I don't have to. Ca- ca- I don't have to worry about whether you're on a Bitcoin standard or not, or whether my neighbor is or not. It's a personal experience. No. I hold Bitcoin personally. I hold it with the business. I make my purchase decisions based on whether I want to uh, uh, lose any of my sats. So perhaps hyper-Bitcoinization is just an experience you go through as an individual. Through your, As you go down the rabbit hole, you learn more, you hyper-Bitcoinize yourself. And we don't collectively need everyone to do it. No, that, that's exactly right. It's, uh, as Michael Jackson said, if you want to change the world, take a look at yourself. <laughs> uh, which maybe he should have done a bit more. But uh, anyway... Uh, <laughs> uh, the thing is that Bitcoin is just an agreement between people that these rules are fair. That's that's all it is. That all we're doing when we're using Bitcoin, when we're hodling Bitcoin, or when we're spending Bitcoin, whatever we do with them, we agree to to the terms of the network. And you can do that to different degrees. Uh, I mean, you, you can you can. Uh, Deep dive into all the technical details. You can you can uh, learn about multisig and coin joints and whatever whatever you wish to do. It's a tool. It's right there on the table in front of you. You can use it if you want to. Uh, you can choose not to use it if you want to. But if you don't agree with the rules of the of the protocol, you can't have an, any any of the benefits. Uh, I tweeted this back at Peter Schiff the other day, by the way, because he's what what he seems to not get is uh, is that Bitcoin, all Bitcoin is, is a bunch of people agreeing on a fixed set of rules, and uh, and it's so embedded in every Bitcoiner's head now that these rules, the the basics of it, like the halvings every four years, the ten minute block intervals uh, set by the difficulty adjustment algorithm, the uh, the, the 21 million coin limit and uh, issuance cap. All of these things are are in all of our minds. And you need to change all of our minds at the same time in order to change Bitcoin. And you can't do that. It's, <laughs> it's there and you have to live with that now. Everyone on earth ha- has to live with the fact that Bitcoin exists. And you can't stop it because it's an idea. It's, it's an intersubjective idea. Uh, we... We we all know about this thing. We all know the basics, and we agree that it's fair. That and how do you stop people from agreeing uh, on a subject? Like you can try to by forking away or promoting this and that, but sooner or later, as you know, every Bitcoiner has this journey through the shit coins and through the like <laughs> status tendencies and like, oh, can they regulate away this? And oh, can't they just change the protocol? And then you realize that Bitcoin is not nothing but an agreement uh, between Bitcoiners that we use this in this way. We, we use the block times instead of, uh, instead of universal time. We, we think in a certain way. Yeah, because you either you either come to accept it or Bitcoin spits you out. But you can't change it. I mean, Roger Ver exactly tried to change it. It spat him out. And he's gone from Bitcoin, and it's it's done it to so many people. And it was really interesting because I was having the conversation with Parker Lewis yesterday about it. It's that the the more you attack 
Bitcoin, in which any way it can be, like whether it's a fork or through regulations or through China mm-hmm. banning mining, you only ever make Bitcoin stronger because it responds to each attack. Yeah, it's quite in some ways it it it's malleable in that it it it's like a an organism that responds to it. So. Let's talk about mining as the example. China bans it. Those miners just move to other jurisdictions. So there are aspects of it which are really hard, yeah. but there are other aspects of it which were quite malleable. Yeah, but and mining, what, what is mining? It's, it's guessing a number. And every Bitcoiner agrees <laughs> that in if we guess this, yeah, if you find the needle in the haystack, you found it and you can prove that you found it because the, ha- the hash of the block has a certain number of zeros ahead of it. Uh, in the beginning of the hash. And and that's all it is. And we all agree that that's how it functions. And that's all we need. So mine, banning mining or like fighting Bitcoin, th- these these terms make no sense to me. And they should make sense to no, uh, to anyone because you, 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 can, you can point a gun at two plus two, it will still equal four. And you can try to change Bitcoin, but Bitcoin, honey badger won't care. It's the same thing. Okay, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. Okay, let's talk about Gemini, my exclusive exchange sponsor who I am using for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I'm not selling. I tell you this every week, I'm just stacking. I'm using their app. I'm using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin. And you know what? I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin. With their streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing. And that's all through one clear, attractive interface. If you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. Next up, we have Revolut. Now, listen, as many of you know, because I've been talking about this for months, Lois TSB, the bank I was with for 25 years, they closed down all of my accounts. They obviously do not like Bitcoin. And then Revolut reached out to me. They saw my tweets. They said, Peter, come on, come to Revolut. We're the bank for you. So I did. I set up my account. It only took me a couple of hours. And everything was moved across. They like Bitcoin. They want to support Bitcoiners. And now Revolut are offering £20 or $20 to all new customers that sign up and complete three-card transactions. It only takes a few minutes to do. And you can create your card and add it to Apple Pay immediately to get that cash in your pocket. Now, you know what I would do. I would convert that straight to Bitcoin. Now, this is a new relationship. We are working hard at this. There's a lot to cover, and I'm hopefully going to get someone from the Revolut team onto the show soon to talk about this. Now, if you do want to find out more, if you do want to sign up and get the bonus, please head over to revolut.com forward slash WBD. That is R-E-V-O-L-U-T dot com forward slash WBD. Next up, we have BlockFi, who were pleased to recently announce that they have launched their BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for those of you living out in the US who are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more sats, the BlockFi Rewards Credit Card is the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you get 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all card purchases and there is no annual fee. Not just that. For the first three months of card ownership, you get 3.5% back in Bitcoin and everything you spend over $50,000 will be 2% in Bitcoin. Now, if you're interested in finding out more, then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And this week, we finish up with Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017, and I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. 
Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And you can even connect your Nano S to your Android phone to manage your Bitcoin on the go. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. Well, this is why I struggle sometimes with the Ethereum people. And this isn't a debate about whether Ethereum should exist or not, or you know what its future uh, plans are and whether it can move to proof of stake. Forget all that to one side. Like, I accept Ethereum exists. I accept some people get value from it and they like it. Fine. That's not an issue. I don't. It's not for me, right? But I accept that. But to argue that Ethereum is better money than Bitcoin, when Bitcoin is sound money, has had a fixed monetary policy for its existence. It is 21 million fixed. It is uh, a halving every four years. It's never once had to change its monetary policy. Whereas Ethereum, I think on a handful of occasions, has changed its monetary policy. It's now going to uh, EIP, is it 1559, which is another change, which my fundamental understanding is, is that it's trying to give Ethereum more value. But if you have a monetary policy which is that flexible, how can it be harder money? How can you? It's quite disingenuous to call it ultrasound money when people are referring to Bitcoin as sound money with a monetary policy that changes. Yeah, you might, you know, you might be able to argue, say, well, Ethereum is better money because um, you have the ability to create smart contracts in a way you can't with Bitcoin. Um, it's it's got, as a Turing complete language, by the way, which has its own trade-offs. But all right, fair. There are things you can do on Ethereum that perhaps you can't do on Bitcoin. Fine, you can have that argument, but you cannot argue that it's sounder money because the ability the ability to create DApps is not what makes something sound money. What makes something sound money is that you can trust it, that it's fair, that its monetary policy isn't going to change at the whim of others. So I find that when Ethereum people argue that it's better than Bitcoin, I find that fundamentally disingenuous. It, it is. It, it's. <laughs> you can go even further than that. Uh, uh, like, it, uh, Ethereum is in a way also an agreement between the users of Ethereum that they they uh, they agree to subscribe to the rules of Ethereum, but the rules of Ethereum are like. It is a centralized entity that decides the rules. That's that's the rules. There's there's no decentralization to to uh, Ethereum at all, and uh, all you can do with it basically, or, or everything that people are, is are using it for, is creating new shitcoins. And now that there's like uh, the, uh, there's a new suggestion to changing the protocol so that uh, people that cancel their contracts, their smart contracts, will get rewarded for removing them from the blockchain and rewriting the blockchain. And what's the point of having a blockchain at all if it works that way? It's like, there's like no, that's the thing. There's no point to a blockchain uh, if it's not Bitcoin, basically. Because if you don't have the decentralization and if you don't all agree on the rules, if there, if there are no rules to agree on, uh, there's no point to having a blockchain. And uh, people have been saying this for years, but but people keep falling for it. And it's because these terms, cryptos and everything, it's like Jack Mollers is talking about this, about uh, what's he called, Brian Armstrong and, and uh, Coinbase, how, how he chose the path of making money off of gullible people instead of going straight to the bottom, like uh, with the, 
the exchange price for Bitcoin uh, into other currencies and saying like, okay, well, you can exchange them for free and we'll have to make money some other way. Because what it's basically doing is it's like bunching people, like uh, putting Bitcoin into the same category as all of these casino scams that are uh, 99% of them are designed to for one specific per- purpose and that's to deprive you of your bitcoin and that's and enrich a few people on top of the pyramid scheme uh by the way the, the next w- video we're working on is uh it, it's about shitcoins and how they can be uh divided into two categories and the first category is cryptocurrencies which are all the other so-called cryptos and the the second category is cleptocurrencies, which are all the fiat currencies. Cleptocurrencies, uh, because they have a uh, yeah, it's a term I'm trying to <laughs> trying like to introduce that. here. Klepto, kleptocurrencies and cryptocurrencies. You you should know your shitcoins. Everything that isn't Bitcoin is basically a shitcoin at this point. There's no there's no competition anymore in money, and there well, doesn't I, I, need I'm, to be because. Yeah. I try so I try and be as fair as I can with this and as objective as I can. So I think calling everything a scam is is an issue because uh, I I think there needs to be some separation. So for example, uh, I consider one coin a scam. That was an actual scam designed yeah, yeah, okay. just to steal from people. Uh, uh, and to call everything a scam doesn't se- doesn't separate the the different incentive structures what was built, but there are I think there are outright scams okay. such as OneCoin, which is an absolute scam. I, I do believe there are uh, attempts at um, rethinking Bitcoin, which are, are failures, and I consider those projects. I don't believe Roger Veer set out to scam people. I think he fundamentally believed that uh, the base chain should be for all transactions, uh. and it was a, a test, and he was proven wrong. I, that's what I think. I don't think he's he's done some like. Don't get me wrong. He's done some things that I don't agree with. Yeah. But I don't think he said let's create Bitcoin Cash to scam people. No. I think he created it as a project because he believed that's what Bitcoin should have been. But he, the thing he did was he misinterpreted what the invention was about or what the discovery of digital scarcity was about, because that's mm-hmm. that's what it was. We. we uh, Humanity discovered, or Satoshi Nakamoto discovered, absolute digital scarcity. Or I, I don't write, like the, the term "digital" really, but absolute scarcity, absolute mathematical scarcity. Let's call it that, and praxeological scarcity—a a, a way for people to agree upon a fixed set of rules that couldn't be changed, that ensured that the money supply could not be increased. He solved the double spending problem, basically. And when that exists, everything else becomes a shitcoin. I, I view it as, but as you say, there are there are different uh, levels in hell. Uh, so so it's a bit like re- religions. Uh, uh, they're, they're not all equally bad. Some are more destructive than others, and you shouldn't just say that religion is one thing, because there are different levels of, uh, like people can be religiously wacko. Uh, from zero to uh, uh, starch raving mad, uh, whatever crackpot religion you. Uh, anyway, my, because I, I view Bitcoin as monetary atheism, and uh, I, I know I get a lot of shit for this, but I think that the, the verifiability of it, like I choose to not believe in the other coins. 
because I choose to believe in something or rather I choose to believe as little as possible and verify as much as possible. And that's what Bitcoin enables me to do. I, there, there are ways for me to check that people are following the rules by running my own node and by, by learning more about it. Uh, it's, it's more easy for me to, to see that we're all playing a fair game here. Yeah, and, no, look, I don't uh, disagree. So, so, so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that the others are all scams. I'm just saying that I don't buy into them, and they might as well be scams. All of them. I don't know. There are there are different levels of of scamminess, but there's if if you if you claim that you discovered absolute scarcity again, you're probably a scammer. There's why why would anyone want to do that to begin with? If if we already found this thing, why would we want to dilute it? That the whole point is that it's undilutable. Why would you want to dilute it by introducing more and more other shitty tokens? I I don't know. And there's no such thing as a digital token, by the way. There's only ledgers. Yeah, so well, it's, it's, only, it's just an agreement. I think I think it's a complicated complicated subject. I definitely think nuance is important. Um, as we went through the block size wars, there were many smart people invested in Bitcoin, been involved in a long time, who believed that uh, bigger blocks were important. Uh, there was a time when I did, when I was newer to Bitcoin, and I heard the arguments, and did I was like, I was like, yeah, bigger blocks make sense. I wasn't did you, trying to scam people. I just believed. Did you read the book? Sense. Which book? Uh, the block size wars. No, I haven't read it yet, but funny enough, I've got it planned to read because I'm going off on holiday next week and I'm yeah. planning to read it. But the point I'm trying to make is that when I thought, oh, okay, yeah, bigger blocks make more sense, I wasn't trying to scam people. I just thought it made more sense. I, no, I no, bought no. into the arguments for that period of time. Now I don't. Obviously now uh, I don't. And at the t I think it was the debate between Roger Veer but and Jameson Lopp on... Um, uh, the Tom Woods show, which convinced me that I was like, okay, no, no, a smaller blocks make sense, and in hindsight, it makes a lot more sense. But what I'm saying is, I think it's important yeah. to 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 be fair to people and classify these things. It's it's a bit like Ethereum. Like again, going back to that, whether or not you think people involved in Ethereum are scammers or not, I think there are people who are trying to build things on Ethereum that they think are useful. I think they're dumb, but they find use in, in them. Uh, you know, yield earning yeah, products, but, but, lending services. Like, just, sorry, just bear with me because I think it's important to say it's like I'm I'm a Bitcoiner. I only hold Bitcoin. I've got no interest in other subjects. But I just find that if we call everything else a scam, we miss the nuance of the debate and we miss the the nuance on on <clears throat> what actually is a scam and what isn't. And they, therefore, I think we actually give cover to actual scams. But but whenever you, you you talk about nuance and stuff like this, you 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 legitimize projects that that try to that try to push a narrative that there's a point to replicating absolute scarcity, and there isn't. Well, that's like, only uh, on the cryptocurrencies which are claiming to compete with Bitcoin to offer absolute scarcity. But there are others who are trying to do other yeah, things. But like what, what else? But what else is there? Like, what else is there to introduce that wouldn't work better uh, if if it was centralized? Like, centralized projects can still be centralized. You can still sell sell uh, gift cards, uh, even though Bitcoin exists, uh, which are totally centralized, and, and that doesn't matter. You can still do all these things. It's just that whenever you introduce a blockchain or like a crypto or a, like. When you use all these words that were used to describe Bitcoin in the beginning, you you 
uh, you confuse people <laughs> because they think that the 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 way they think newcomers think about Bitcoin uh, is wrong from the beginning because they they think that there's like a competition between these and there really isn't. I think it's intention. I I, I think if you're scamming scamming someone, you are intentionally. And aware that you're scamming somebody, and this. By the way, I'm I'm in total. You've got, got to remember, I'm in total agreement with you about Bitcoin. What I'm what I'm saying is, I don't yeah. believe there are people out. Everybody out there working on altcoin projects are intentionally scamming people. I think they believe no, they're building something useful, and that's why I think it's important because because we're given cover otherwise. You you have to play the devil's advocate as well, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, uh, I don't believe they're all scammers uh, intentionally. Of course not. I, I believe many of them are are just confused. Uh, and I, I like people may do what they like and they may believe in what they like. Uh, what I dislike is when this magnificent discovery of Bitcoin gets confused with all of these other semi-scammy projects. Uh, and even though if they're not, def- if they're intentionally scams or not doesn't really matter because the result is the same. People who choose to invest in these things instead of Bitcoin will lose money over time. Will lose purchasing not, power over time. That, that, and Again, that's not entirely true. Um, there are plenty of traders out there who will invest in these projects on different timescales and, and, and will earn more Bitcoin. Yeah, but... but but I think uh, what you're saying is what, you're saying over percent- time... As a, a, on a long enough time frame, the, uh, price against Bitcoin, they always lose. Yeah, and uh, but when it comes to the traders, uh, it's a bit like the poker boom in the beginning of the century. Uh, uh, only a, a tiny fraction of them actually make money from from trading. All the others lose money. Most of them lose money because day trading is really hard. Uh, and uh, furthermore. In in what way do do currency traders contribute to the uh, the progress of humanity? What, what what good do they? How are they good for for civilization as a whole? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't really see that. All, all they're doing is like making money off of other people not making money because someone has to lose the trade and someone has to win it when it's between different currencies, right? So, so I don't really see the the point in that. Of course, some some people do it and make money off it. But if you tell people that day trading is a good idea and they should follow all these technical analysis and, and learn all that stuff, you're you're sort of missing. Like, why aren't they producing something valuable instead and selling it in, instead of just? Buying something that they think that other people will buy at a certain other time and sell at some time. Uh, I mean, well, but but there's, I, there's I no think real we have value to be there. There, are, there. Well, again, I, I don't think that's right. I think there are people who are getting value from Ethereum. I think it's providing things to some people that are getting value from it. Name one. Um, let's well, stable coins. If people are able to use stable coins on yeah, Ethereum. I'm, uh, to How? trade in and out yeah. of Bitcoin and on what, exchanges that don't have um, uh, uh, banking what, services. Okay, and what do stable coin? Uh, okay, so so they enable some people that couldn't buy Bitcoin to buy Bitcoin. Is that it? 
Well, I'm just saying you asked for an uh, example. There's an example because, of someone getting they've they've built something that people are getting value from. But stable coins are like first of all, some of them are really scammy in themselves. Like how many tethers are there? Are they really whatever? And but but what they are, they are they are only the world the word stable coin is sort of an oxymoron because the only reason that the dollar is stable is is that it's dishonest because prices but this is a different aren't point. stable. We, we, yeah, but that's a different point. The, the, your 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 point is whether or not stable coins are, are stable because of your criticism of the fiat currency that it represents. The point you made was yeah. are people building something of value? People are getting value from having the ability to use stable yeah, coins to to buy and sell bitcoin. So they've built something if, if people are using it They've built something of value, but who who benefits from uh, from the value of of creating a stable coin? The currency you, you traders, saying, right? Well, no. Any, anyone who wants to buy Bitcoin who can't access banking services from an exchange, or the exchange doesn't support banking services, but, so they have to use uh, a stable coin. So, for example, I think was it Tether was introduced early on. Because the first exchanges couldn't get banking services, so they introduced Tether, so people could trade in and out of Bitcoin. So um, that's something that has provided value to people over the years. I think I think it's hard to argue against. That that's not the point of whether you know you, it's a it's a different argument. I think to criticize the value of a stablecoin itself because fiat currencies themselves are, are shit. But they've built something of value. Also, there's a the ability for people. There's people who who are able to get loans and earn yield. On some of these things, I, by the way, I don't use it, and I never would. But they're using it, and they're getting value from it. But the value you're speaking of is basically that it enables some people to acquire Bitcoin. Well, no, it's more than that. Some people are able to take out loans and earn yield using other cryptocurrencies, and they get value from that. I mean, value is subjective to the user. Yes, of course, but 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 all these things, all these. Fi- financial things that you can do you can leverage this and you can short that and you can buy in and out of that it's it's not really contributing anything to the world like bitcoin to me i well i that's a different I don't point. come from a trading perspective so i'm not so i'm not an expert here i'm just saying that the overall value if they had focused on bitcoin only and like acquiring bitcoin for something they did they would provide more value to society as a whole than, than just playing these casino games of the financial world. But again, I think you're making a different That's point. My point. You're, you're, you're talking about the morality of of these projects and what they do to better the world. That uh, and. That's a different point than saying, does it provide value? Like, are we talking about net value to the world or net value to the individual? If it's the in, the in, yeah, but a, va- value. Oh, okay. Uh, I have an answer for that, and that is value. Value actually created and just not scammed out of someone else, because like Again, no, enriching sorry, yourself, sorry. it's not it's not creating value. Uh, it's if if it's at the expense of anyone else, you're not. Uh, sorry, but all trading, <laughs> but all trading is you know all trading can be at the expense of anyone else. You know, people going onto any exchange, even a Bitcoin only exchange. So say, let's say somewhere like River, if they're trading on River, they can you, you can buy and sell and lose. Dollar value, you can make mistakes, and and you can lose to somebody else's benefit. So, if you're making a, you're making, I think you're going down the road of making uh, morality decisions about what it what is ethical and what is not. 
Yes, and I think it's unethical to promote a behavior that most people will will lose money by adopting. So you think trading itself is unethical? No, no, of course not. Uh, trading is is why trade trading in itself is, is is of course not a bad thing. It's voluntary exchange between between people, and you shouldn't try to stop it uh, uh, by by the. The thing is, uh, trading between currencies is like when you have the perfect currency, trading between other currencies just to enrich yourself, it doesn't really contribute anything to anyone. It's just, uh, and these people that claim that, that, that it does, that, uh, the, the sort of dishonest, uh, it's hard to articulate this, but the, the the frame the framing the framing is wrong. Oh. Well, I think do you know what I think it's hard to articulate, and I I don't know how people will respond to this. They might give me a kick, or they might agree, but I think it's one of these problems we get when we go down part of it's part of the Bitcoin maximalist kind of rabbit hole. Is that it's almost impossible to accept anything else. It becomes really difficult to accept anything else once you're a Bitcoin maximalist because there's a couple of things. Firstly, you run the risk of people. Yelling at you, cancelling you, you know, shouting at you. Like even even me in this conversation, given this mild acceptance to Ethereum, runs the risk of people going, "Oh, Pete's a shitcoiner now. Pete's going to promote shitcoins. His podcast is going to support Ethereum." Like I go that risk of people yelling at me, but you sometimes you have to be just try and be intellectually honest with yourself. And your your point was like, are these people creating something of value? I would argue uh, that it's almost impossible to argue against the fact that when the people have built Tether, they've built something that is useful for Bitcoiners. And these and, and other stablecoins that exist on uh, alternative blockchains provide value to Bitcoiners. And, but but that, short, to accept that, short to term accept maybe. That, that this, may, maybe a short term, but, but at the same time, it's, it becomes really difficult because then, then we have to go, oh, okay, well, uh, Maybe Ethereum does have some value. It was a bit like the INX token uh, when that was launched. It was originally launched on Ethereum because Liquid wasn't ready. So those people who who are Bitcoiners, essentially Bitcoin maximalists, realized at that moment in time that 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 uh, Ethereum blockchain could provide them what they needed. Or even recently, when uh, Jack Mallers was building Strike because he couldn't get certain banking services, they did part of it. Using Tether on, um, I think it was on Ethereum. So what I'm saying is, like, I'm happy to have the debate, but I think sometimes we have we have to be honest. Like, there are things out there that have provided value to people which aren't on Bitcoin. I, th- I think Ethereum's dumb. I have no long term use for it, but I, I I think we have to be honest about it. Yeah, and I do too. But I think there's a big difference between being open minded and being interne- intellectually honest, uh, because. Like whenever, whenever you legitimize these these other things, you 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 claim that Tether had some use case. I, I would say that Tether the the people that benefit most from Tether are the people behind Tether, of course, because I think there are more Tethers around than they than they say there is, and uh, it's built on Ethereum, and that was supposed to be a good thing. 
because, uh, well, they could have just built it on nothing then, because it's a nothing burger if it's built on the Ethereum, because the rules of Ethereum can be changed at any point in time. And maybe some people got lucky and used it at the right time, and they could time the markets and and uh, get something for themselves out of it. I mean, I think I think Bitcoin Cash was a, was a scam. Uh, I, I think it was deliberately there in in order to get the uh, ASIC boost running and everything, and miners could uh, make more money from whatever technical blah blah blah. But but I could still make some money off of selling my Bitcoin Cash for Bitcoin. So for me personally, it was good. Uh, but I don't think it provided anything of value to Bitcoin, ah, except see, again, for maybe I'm setting a precedent that wouldn't have. See, I don't. You, I don't you, think it okay. was. Okay, yeah. I, I know what you're going to say. Well, let me say. It, <laughs> let me say. It. So, it's because it's two points. Firstly, is I don't think it was a scam. I think it was a disagreement. Okay, and eh. I think it was a disagreement about scaling. That's what I think it was. Uh, I think some of the actions that people took in delivering it became scammy, but ultimately, I think it was a disagreement about scaling, and then the market proved which was right or wrong. I think it provided a huge amount for a uh, value for Bitcoin. I think it proved that forking Bitcoin will ultimately lead to failure, yeah, and ultimately lead to people losing money. I think that it strengthened Bitcoin, and I think it strengthened the community, and I think it strengthened the network. And I think that was a huge amount of value. And somebody said it recently to me. They said, we'll probably look back on 2017 and be glad that that the experience happened then because we got yeah. to learn quite early on in the history of Bitcoin what happens when you try and fork it. We have so yeah. many forks and they all failed. There's almost no point forking Bitcoin anymore. It's obvious yeah, what's going to happen. I, I agree with all of that, Peter. But 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 still, all the people that that believed in Bitcoin Cash because they misunderstood the point of decentralization and why the blocks needed to be small, uh, uh, so that people could run their own nodes. All of those people that were misled by these other entities, uh, whether they were scammers or not, well, let's not go into that. But all of those people lost money in the process, and those of us that saw that this. The this the real block the the real Bitcoin is going to survive and this one is going to die out. We could make money off of those other people. So while while I agree with with you on all those points that it was probably good for for Bitcoin in the long run because people got an, a, a perfect example of what happens if you try to fork Bitcoin and it's not a good idea, especially after it's split into separate forks in itself. Like a year later, you can see how. How easily these things are manipulated and how robust Bitcoin is. So I agree to all of that, but I still think that the the, the credit credit is where credits due, and the credit goes to Bitcoin for being so robust and for Bitcoiners for believing in the the the, the real moral values of this thing. Uh, and so so there's no credit at all to the Bitcoin Cash people. Because those are the ones that lost this battle, and it was good for Bitcoin because of Bitcoin, and not because of Bitcoin Cash. That's that's the yeah. Yes, look, that's uh, how I view yeah. it. Yeah, look, I don't, I don't entirely disagree. I think we're on a similar page, but I just, I think it's mm. important to 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 look back on the history of these events and, and and be kind of honest about what happened and why. And and I don't think misunderstanding something 
makes you a scammer. I just think you misunderstand something. If if your actions are, you know, if you fail to readjust and then you mislead people or you lie, then you're a scammer. But at the time, if you misunderstand something, you just misunderstood something. And it's easy to do with, with you know, it's quite complex things. But in the start of this discussion, we didn't discuss uh, scam uh, if things were scams or not. We were discussing if there were shit coins or not, which is a slightly, there's a subtle difference between the two. Because uh, people can have honest intentions and still create a shit coin. I mean, it's still shit. <laughs> it will still lose value over time and uh, uh, provide more losses to more people. Than, uh, like, only uh, only a few will gain value from this thing, these things existing, and uh, most people will will just lose money trading them. So, so it's still a shit coin, regardless of it, if it's intentionally a scam or not. I don't think the British pound was intended to be a scam, but it's still a shit coin. I don't think the US dollar was intended to be a scam in the beginning, but nowadays it's a shit coin. What about the issuance of tokens in the future on liquid, which are representations of ownership of a uh, of a company? Are they shit coins? I haven't thought about that, so I don't have an answer for you there where I stand <laughs> on that, those issues. Because I have, I have I, thought about that. I, I spoke mm-hmm. to um, Eric Voorhees yesterday because he's decentralizing uh, Shapeshift. And whatever people think of Eric Voorhees, I like talking to him because I've had a lot of interesting discussions about governance and libertarianism with him. And like, I'm not a user of Shapeshift. Uh, I'm not going to be buying the Fox token. I'm not going to be investing. But the idea of decentralizing a business and having a token which represents ownership and contribution towards the future of that project, I do find interesting. In a, in a future world where we become more decentralized, if we were to break down the, the institutions which govern the ownership of companies, and we allowed people in a free market to decide how companies may be owned, and we might issue shares as tokens on a blockchain, say, like Liquid, and maybe on a long enough time frame, it would be better to own Bitcoin than that token. But you know, like shares, there's sh- shares you can own in companies that will outperform Bitcoin on certain timeframes. So I think the, the dis- I th- I'm, I'm almost at that point where I'm feeling like the conversation regarding tokens, it needs to, it needs, we need, it needs to grow up a bit. We need to be a bit more mature about it and say, look, what is the future structure and ownership of companies, especially in a more decentralized world? Will we move towards tokens as representations of shares? Will they be issued on a blockchain like or something like Liquid? Because it's important. But are you talking? Because are you talking about ten years from now or five hundred years from now? I'm talking about it could be a year it, from now. <laughs> because it could be five years from now. I, I mean, it's I, already happening. I, INX have done it. Oh. <laughs> well, this, <laughs> this is getting tiresome. If uh, the thing is, if if it's about a token that represents value, uh, a token representing value, it. It's that's sort of a, what what money is like. It's uh, I, I have this thing, and it, it's the most saleable good in society by by definition becomes its money, right? So that, uh, that's why gold became money back in the day because it was saleable because it was quite easy to verify and it was scarce. So people it would hold this value over time. People could use it to exchange with other things. And if the game we're playing is money. There's only one winner, and and the best type of money, the best form of money, is that winner. 
And that's what Bitcoin is. And that's the race that Bitcoin is winning. And th there's no competition there because there's no need for a competition there because all of the best ideas will be implemented into Bitcoin sooner or later. We just need to all agree that they're good ideas. And if they're not good, we won't all agree. So but basically, Bitcoin is an agreement. Use it if you want to use it. But what bothers me is when people confuse this with, with other things that aren't, aren't this glorious thing that will go up forever, but that are other things that are temporary and might be interesting to someone for a short amount of time. I'm building, uh, like, I'm trying to get at some form of life insurance for, for my grand, 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 grandchildren here. I'm not trying to get rich off of, the, uh, off of the stock market. I'm not trying to uh, move fast and break things. Uh, <laughs> I think move slow and don't break things is a much better thing to live by. And uh, like the philosophical I think we're talking cross-purposes behind... though. Because I think we agree. Yeah, because I think we agree on Bitcoin. My, my, my point is, my point is that as so why we are we debate talking about shitcoins? <laughs> well, no, because it came up, and and you know, if, if you're going to bring up a point that I disagree with, I'm going to say, look, you're my okay. brother, you're my Bitcoin brother, but I disagree <laughs> with you on this point, and this is this is why, and and I think these things are healthy to debate. Um, one of the things I've you know, found sometimes is that uh, certain areas of discussion amongst Bitcoiners are off topic and you risk reputational damage by discussing these things, which in some ways I find it's sometimes kind of antithetical to the way Bitcoiners are because if we're talking about freedom and you know, we should be talking about the ability to discuss things. And I think if we are going to discuss certain issues, then we have to be honest. And like, if you're going to, if you say something I disagree with, then I'm, I'm going to say I disagree with it. But I think the thing is, okay, we, the reason we're talking across purposes is because I agree with you on Bitcoin being the best form of money. I 100% agree with you. One area I do disagree with you is like that we can say with absolute certainty that there will never be anything better than Bitcoin. Bitcoin existed, exists because of monetary competition because there's so much bad money out there. Someone created a better money, which is Bitcoin. We can't say with, a, we might be able to say with 99.999%, but we can't say with 100% certainty that nothing. Well, for for the till the end of time, till the till the sun expands and blows up, that that Bitcoin will be the only form of money. There might be something else. No, no, uh, no, no. Better than invested. I'm not saying that. I, I'm not saying that. But I'm. I am saying that uh, there will never be a better cryptocurrency or ever be a better blockchain. Uh, if if there's a better type of right. money, it will be. It will be something completely different because you can't reproduce. The, the the discovery of, of absolute scarcity. If you do that, uh, uh, the 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 point of a blockchain disappears, uh, like and everything crumbles. The house of cards will fall if that was ever to happen. Because uh, what what's to ensure that that won't happen again? If I can't hodl for five generations, but I need to trade every every second generation because something else took over, there's no point in hodling, and then there's no point in Bitcoin, and then there's no point in the scarcity aspect. I mean, uh, that that's that's the basic thesis. You you can't replicate this experiment. You can only discover America once. Uh, you can only discover Bitcoin once. Uh, I think you're almost certainly right. All right, almost but certainly. I, I, yeah, almost certainly because I just can't say absolutely. 
I think it's I think it's a dangerous game to play. Say with absolute certainty, there's it will be impossible for any other cryptocurrency ever to be created that will be better than Bitcoin. I think you're almost certainly right, but I can't say I would never. I just would never say absolutely. Okay, I wouldn't say anything absolutely, absolutely either because uh, you know maybe we're all living in a simulation and whatever. So there's always <laughs> a tiny, tiny chance that something weird will happen. Uh, I, I think with almost absolute certainty that if if there's a better money in the future than Bitcoin, it will not be a cryptocurrency. It will be something else. It will be something that's stored in our brains. The biological money Alien stored coin. in our brains. Alien coin. Well, Bitcoin already is that. But you can store Bitcoins in your brain. You only already have that technology. Bitcoin enables that. You already have that. Wow. Well, you don't need anything I mean, else. Well, I, maybe I, not uh, your brain, but... Yeah, maybe not my brain. <laughs> Memorizing 24 Sorry words would that. be quite difficult. <laughs> no, it's fine. 24 words would be hard for me. I'd, I'd forget some. It is that interesting concept, though, that you can travel around the world with the money just yeah. stored in 24 words that you remember. Yeah, and owning, uh, knowing is owning in that sense. And, and not only the 24 words, but knowing about Bitcoin is owning Bitcoin. Like, knowing about these concepts is owning Bitcoin. Like, Knowing people who are Bitcoiners is owning the world. The, like uh, knowing is owning is a very powerful concept. And when when you blur the line between knowing and owning, you make forceful uh, like seizure of other people's stuff a lot harder, uh, and you make violence a lot less effective. If you kill me with my twenty-four words in my head, the twenty-four words go away, and they enrich every other Bitcoiner. By by I'm making Bitcoin to. even more scarce. Okay, thank you. Uh, but <laughs> uh, so and then every every other Bitcoiner gets richer. Every other Bitcoiner gets more influential over time. Every political decision gets more influenced by Bitcoiners. I mean, there's no way of losing this. If it works, if it keeps on doing what it does, there's no stopping this thing, because. All the incentives are aligned. You can't kill it. It really is Roko's basilisks or Roko's honey badger or whatever you may call it. But but it's it truly is unstoppable. So why why do you think it is that people struggle with it? And I'm talking a range of people, whether it's academics like uh, Nassim Taleb, Noura Rabini, whether it's our friend Peter Schiff up here, or whether it's just our friends who we're down the pub with. Trying to explain Bitcoin to them, what what is it that people struggle with? I I think it's because it really is too good to be true, because <laughs> people can't wrap their heads around that uh, the the concept of the the value of an asset going up forever and not being able to go down in the long run. They they, they just can't uh, wrap their heads around that concept because it's it's too weird. And it really is too weird because it changes everything, absolutely everything, on a personal level, on a societal level, ev- everywhere. It changes everything. Uh, and the next 10 years are going to be so interesting because we're going to see some weird shit. I mean, you were in, in the Sante, you, you talked to, uh, to the president uh, uh, and mm-hmm. all of this. And uh, you, you're, you're, you're friends with Jack Maulers and all of these guys that are actually changing the world. Uh, and you know this. You know how... how how absolutely awesome it is to, to go around in El Sante and, and using the Lightning Network every day. You know how absolutely awesome it is that 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 uh, Jack is building these things that are 
accessible to everyone in the world. It's it's like I I don't see anything stopping this. Stopping people from agreeing about a certain set of rules is a very hard thing. Stopping people from remembering 24 words is a very hard thing. Stopping people from using mathematics is a very hard thing. Uh, and I, I believe mathematics and praxeology wins in the end. Yeah, I think I think the biggest I think the biggest problem for adoption for most people is the hurdle of volatility. Because if you if you first buy your Bitcoin at the start of a bull run, you have a very different experience. So if you first bought your first Bitcoin about a year ago at four or five thousand dollars, you're going to have a very different bias towards Bitcoin than the people who bought their first Bitcoin three months ago when it was at sixty four thousand. Not because of the price it they bought it at, but what's happened to the price since. It's it's a lot easier to be pro Bitcoin, excited, listen to podcasts, read articles when you've done a ten x. Uh, than it is when you've had a 50% haircut. And I think that's the struggle. It, people always say, oh, I'm too late. You know, My friends who thought they were too late at 1,000, thought they were too late at 20,000, thought they're too late at 64,000. It's coming back to your point. They can't understand it's an asset that can go up in value forever. They always think they've missed out. And therefore, they, it's, it's, they, yeah. they therefore don't take the next leap. I uh, And I always try to tell them it was the same the first time I bought Bitcoin. Like, uh, I thought I was too late, and everyone everyone always thinks they're too late. But what I tell people is basically, buy Bitcoin, do not sell them uh, uh, before five years have passed. <laughs> like, hold them for five <laughs> years at least, and then you make your decision. And yeah, that's, that's usually uh, funny. The I say four. I, I always tell people. Uh, yeah, with four, you might miss the cycle. <laughs> yeah, you well, I, I think if in four years you usually get at least one one cycle, but uh it takes like four to five years for a Bitcoin to mature. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And it's like a it's like a a, a wine. It grows uh, its value grows with its age, right? A fine wine. Oh yeah, I like that. That's oh, I'm gonna steal mm. that one. So you talk <laughs> about things that are gonna get weird and we're going to see a lot of changes. What, what kind of things are you thinking about here? Because one of the things on my mind is that I don't think, I worry about, and I know some people say don't, or say you're a fucking socialist or stop caring, whatever it is. But one of the things I worry about is this hyper-Bitcoinization transition where other currencies die and people move to Bitcoin will be a bloody transition and it will be a potentially violent transition and the reason i say that is mm. um we've seen what happens when wealth inequality grows we see revolutions we see demonstrations we see protests we see death we see destruction and we've seen this again and again the transition from a fiat based world to a bitcoin based world is going to have winners and losers and there is going to be at certain periods in time, people are going to see their fiat currency collapse while Bitcoin goes up. And maybe they don't hold it. And maybe they become angry towards it. So, and it's a very different world from what we've had for certainly my entire lifetime and the entire lifetime of my parents. One of the things I keep thinking about is how does that transition happen? If it moves to smaller government, whilst it's something many of us support, how does that transition look? Does the world get really fucking weird for a period of time? Yes, my uh, my answer to this to that is this: uh, the the world with, will get weirder and weirder anyway, 
And mm-hmm. uh, and without Bitcoin, we wouldn't have a, a transition. We would just have a crash, and then there would be losers and losers, and nothing else, because the crash is coming regardless of whether Bitcoin exists or not. Everyone, every fiat currency is hyperinflating just at different rates. So we will all become Lebanon or Venezuela at some point in time. It's just a matter of time. Because you can't keep the current machine working without, infl- without an ever-growing GDP. And that means you need more and more currency every year. And we're all on the same path. All fiat currencies have a, have a limited lifetime. They die at some point. Uh, those people who hold Bitcoin, in, in Bitcoin there will be winners and winners. Uh, and no losers. Uh, as long as you hold Bitcoin, you will not be a loser. Uh, for five years. <laughs> you might <laughs> for five years. You might you might lose your fiat in the process. But uh, this goes back to the Willy Woo statistic there about uh, uh, the the number of small holders uh, and uh, people with less than one Bitcoin, people with less than ten Bitcoin. Those numbers are growing. So it is. When you say wealth gaps and all, all of these things that usually start pitchfork riots, uh, that is actually Bitcoin is is uh, it is distributing wealth across uh, to, to to poor people. It, it is working. It is doing exactly what the central bank says it does, uh, but it's working by doing the exact opposite of what the central bank is doing. Uh, if the 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 more expensive the money is to produce, the cheaper the prices of everything else in comparison to that type of money, and vice versa. So the cheaper the money is to produce, the uh, the, the more expensive everything else gets. And that's what we're living in now. And everyone has a harder and harder time because money gets devalued at all the time. With Bitcoin, it's the exact opposite. As long as you have any Bitcoin, your purchasing power will go up over time. So So it's the only way to, to have a transition at all. Without, without Bitcoin, we would just have darkness, <laughs> civil wars, and nothing, nothing hopeful to look forward to. Now there's actually something really hopeful to look forward to. I don't know how, what the transition looks like. I know, what I do know is that it's much harder for people to, to take, uh, val- take people's wealth by force if they have Bitcoin. It's much much harder to to uh, to force people to do stuff they don't want to do if they're bitcoiners. If if bitcoin in a world that bitcoin exists, violence it gets more expensive. So so I I, I'm, I I try to be an optimist. How how can you uh, how can you stop people from agreeing on a fair set of rules that everyone agrees on are fair? Uh, you you can't stop an idea. You can't stop a, an idea whose time has come. And and this is it. This is so. I, so I believe in a in a very bright future because of the uh, the elimination of violence from the equa- from the equation. And uh, I think yeah. it might be a lot better than people think because people tend to have a uh, like that's that's true for all times. People see new inventions and transitions to new technologies and stuff like. Oh, it's dangerous! It's going to kill us all, and AI robots are going to take over everything. And like, but people thought that about the vacuum cleaner as well. I mean, it'll probably be positive, it did. all positive. So, <laughs> I thought the vacuum yeah. cleaner was dangerous. 
an army of vacuum cleaners were going to take over the world. <laughs> Maybe the vacuum cleaner wasn't the best example in the world, but you you get the drift. <laughs> I do, I do, man, I do. Yeah. So, what about what? What do you think is going to be the some of the biggest changes that we will see? Though, I mean, I, I know for me personally that my considerations for what I spend money on has changed drastically. Uh, I save more, I spend less, and when I do spend, it's on something I really, really fucking want, right? Uh, that is one of the considerations I've had. So that, that I guess, is going to ch- make a difference to the what society produces because what we demand will change. Definitely, and, and it's a much-needed change because right now there are piles of garbage everywhere because we give each other bullshit uh, Chinese bullshit for uh, for Christmas presents and everything all the time and we were expected to bring gifts here and there when when gifts are really pointless in a world in a world as abundant as as the one we live in because stuff is cheap life quality is is not uh, so, so more and more people uh, uh, when you onboard more bitcoins I mean we all search for something a better life, more meaningful life, uh, better spiritual life, if you will. And uh, you find that through Bitcoin because your time preference changes in the way you uh, describe there. And because people people crave less bullshit and more genuine things and more truthful things. Uh, so... Has Bitcoin changed you? A lot, of course it has. I, I just quit my day job, or I, I quit my day job a couple of m- months back. Yeah, so I. I what did you, uh, you used to lab. do? I was the crew manager for an uh, offshore shipping company. Wow! So I have I have around uh, responsibility for around two hundred fifty employees, mostly CTVs, crew transfer vessels to wind farms in the in the uh, North Sea. So you now have control of that other scarce asset, time. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't it wasn't a bad job at all, and I have no no beef with my four, former employees at all. Uh, so it was just like the time to move on had come. Uh, uh, so so I did my last day in the office yesterday. Uh, yesterday, with mixed feelings. Wow, congratulations! Yeah, dude, Thank listen, you. you've got control so, of um, time now. I do. I hope. Well, I have a family. <laughs> Yeah, well, but that's but but that's positive. Like you've you've swapped work time for family time. Like, are you planning now yeah. just to be Bitcoin only content creator? Yada yada. Like, you're not planning to get another job. No, no, I'm becoming Peter McCormack 2.0. That's that's my oh, plan. The Swedish Peter McCormack. <laughs> hey man, listen, how are things over in Sweden? Think in in what regard? Well, so. Like- when you go on Twitter and you see people debating lockdowns versus no lockdowns and yada yada, a lot of Bitcoiners will bring up Sweden as the example as a country that basically avoided lockdowns, had a much more liberal approach. Uh, do, are we getting? Like, do, do we get to see the real truth? Yeah, I, I think it's some, if not most, of it stems from an inability to act at all uh, on part of our government. They're, they're so slow, and they're uh, like. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> they're not very effective. So, so they were sort of late to the ball when it came to lockdowns. But then again, I think they also listen a lot to uh, to the advisors, and we happen to have quite a good advisor. I mean, 
we had a lot of COVID deaths. A lot of old people died. Uh, whether that's a good or a bad thing in relationship to uh, how many, how much lockdowns we didn't have, that's that's a different discussion. But I, I, I'm certainly happy that I could take more responsibility for myself. I mean, it was no problem for me to work from home uh, in the beginning when when no one knew anything about the disease or anything. Uh, I, I just wanted to keep me and my family safe. And it was a good excuse to take the kids out of, out of the brainwashing institution for a while. So we did that for a couple of months. Uh, but uh, Are they going back? Then we all, all <laughs> unfortunately, but, but they're going to a different school in another country now. Uh, wow. I think I should, shouldn't really dox where, but <laughs> those okay. are no, no. But you're shipping uh, them off. But, uh, yeah, sort of. Uh, well, we're going there too. So, uh, and it's a Scandinavian school. So, okay. Um, wow. Well, you can tell me another time, man. You tell me another time. Uh, over yeah, sure. Time. Listen, there's another <laughs> thing uh, we have. We have to talk about one more subject. You know what it is, right? All right. Yeah, I, I have a lot of time. So, however long. No, but you, you know, you this. know what the other thing is. We have to talk about Mexico. We have no. We have to talk about uh, your musical career. Oh, okay. all right. <laughs> My former musical career. <laughs> or yeah, maybe, man. Maybe Listen, that was a surprise. What did you hear? I guess you heard the driven uh, song from Lure at the Beast. Yeah, what I, I can't remember the song someone sent me, uh, and it was one of those situations. Where you're like, oh shit, am I going to have to pretend I like this? And because I don't want to make that person feel bad, and I was put it on. I was like, this fucking rocks. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I've been in several bands through the years, and uh, I haven't had the time to do that much music lately. It's, it's sort of when that band ended, uh, I needed another creative output because I'm I'm sort of a creative person who needs to put stuff out there. Uh, and so I started writing about Bitcoin instead. But now that I have more time on my hands, I might make, make some music again. Uh, I mean... I made this fuck you money song that got kind of popular on Bitcoin Twitter. Did you see that? <laughs> yeah, but how, how, how big sorry, I I'm 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 more fascinated with the bands. Like how big did you get? Did you tour? Uh no, we didn't tour. We 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 got a record contract. And the the thing was we made that uh, we made that song or uh, that album by ourselves and uh we uh, we made the video by ourselves with a friend and uh uh-huh. Then, then we uploaded it on some some site, and it got uh, someone in the uh, someone working with the Pirate Bay discovered it, and so it was featured on. They had something called a Promo Bay for a while. I mean, I, I don't know when the last time you used the Pirate Bay was, but I, I guess everyone used it like fifteen years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So it got uh, it got promoted there for 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 three days. Was up for three days and got around a hundred thousand views on YouTube, and uh, wow. that was the, f- the the first time I I ever saw something actually going sort of viral on the internet that that I mm-hmm. was involved in. So I sort of saw the potential for it. like if you can only get something, an idea or something creative out there that that people can. Uh, the, the I, I I saw the potential in the uh, in social media and the internet there I, I guess, but yeah yeah, you didn't you didn't get to uh, ever share a stage with uh, Europe did you? 
we only played in Sweden. Uh, mostly like in Europe Gothenburg. Swedish. We got out. We got out of Gothenburg at uh, at least, but only small venues and nothing. Nothing big. Um, my first uh, album I ever owned was a Europe album. Oh, the final countdown. <laughs> no, it was the album after that that had superstition on it. Oh, let me find. Oh it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Europe. <laughs> uh, they have a fascinating story too. Yeah, we have to grab a beer and talk music someday. Yeah, <laughs> we will do. Yeah, it was the album. The yeah. first, my dad came home on cassette and brought me out of this world uh, because right. they had released the final countdown song and I loved it. And then he bought me that that cassette. I mean, they're God, they've been going forever. Yeah, yeah. I guess we're 10. about the same age, so I uh, I grew up with Europe as well, and like Europe. Twist, bon Jovi. Twisted Sisters, we're not gonna take it. Was really big in Sweden. <laughs> Oh, Motley Crue, Warren. Did you ever? Were you into Cherry Pie? Yeah, I like Cherry Pie, Is but I wasn't into any pie. other <laughs> uh, any of the other glam rock. I, I really liked Guns N' Roses when they came, and yeah, uh, uh, and of course all the, uh, the. I was a big grunge fan, so uh, I liked Soundgarden a lot, and I still do. Oh man, Chris Cornell killed mm. himself. That really. Oh man, still can't yeah, believe that. That was, that was the yeah, that was depressing. <sighs> yeah, well, Alice in Chains were my favorite. They're my favorite grunge band. Absolutely yeah, yeah, love excellent. Alice in Chains. I've I've yeah. got a tattoo of Lane Staley here actually. So so when are you getting uh, everything divided by twenty million tattoo? Like when you got one right there. <sighs> you know, I don't have a Bitcoin tattoo. This is the one you should get, right? Yeah. Like, if I come. Convince you to do this right now, live. <laughs> Maybe. Let, let me think about it. I'll think about it. I, I probably should get a Bitcoin tattoo at some point, man. I should do it. Well, listen, look, we, we didn't talk about exactly what we planned to talk about, but I think it was a healthy discussion. I'm probably going to get shouted at. Um, but I'm glad we did that. <laughs> uh, listen, where do, where do people find your books? Where do they follow well, your videos? Tell them where to follow all that shit you're doing because it's really useful. Yeah, my... Uh... My main Bitcoin content is on Twitter uh, and on Mastodon, and I uh, I'm Knut, at Knut Svan on, on on Twitter and also on Telegram, where I have a Telegram channel these days. Uh, they f- you can find my books on Amazon and also translations on them uh, available from the Consensus Network and from Apricot Media. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to announce that I'm the editor of this Swedish version of the Bitcoin standard. I'm having a collaboration cool. with the folks at Consensus Network there. So uh, looking nice, forward to that. Uh, start working on that. We'll, we'll stick like that all in the... Uh, Do you know what? I think we've operated with a delay this whole interview. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I, I thought we had someone earlier, can fix but I think it. we have. Uh, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel will have that he'll fix that well listen look I'll put it all in the all show right. notes hopefully uh, I'm going to see you at yeah, some point dude don't miss don't miss the videos there's a new one coming out soon no. uh, the tw- if you search for everything divided by 21 million you'll, you'll find the video and the other videos the Joni Appleberg's YouTube channel is highly recommended thank you Joni well listen we'll put it all in the show notes man uh, hopefully Daniel will fix the, the delay issue that I think we've had uh Appreciate talking talking to you, man. You're always welcome on the show. It's uh, it's always a good chat. That's two we've done now, and let's try and do one in person at some point. Let's try and you can tell me where you'll be, and we'll hang yeah. out. We'll have a beer. We'll talk rock and roll, and do it in person. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on, and uh, looking forward to to everything.
to everything. To everything being divided by 21 million. Peace out, brother. Yeah. <laughs> Peace. Hope you enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com or you can hit me up on my Telegram group. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, I only ever want you to do one thing. Just head over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Anyway, love you all and I'll see you all on Wednesday.